Power Athlete Radio. This week we are joined by Logan Gelbrecht and Danny Leslie of Deuce Gym in sunny Venice, Italy. I'm sorry, I'm being told that's actually Venice, California, that there is a Venice in California. Chances are, if you've trained at Deuce, you've experienced the unique culture that flows through this no-frills garage gym. Danny and Logan take us through their humble beginnings all the way to current day. Today, their success has afforded them opportunities such as the rollout of their new coaches prep course. But according to these reluctant A-listers, life isn't just about bottle service and training celebrities. It's definitely mostly that, but it's also mostly about creating a culture that drives purpose in every person who dips a toe into the world of strength and conditioning. This is episode 222, also known as Deuce, Deuce Deuce. Our athlete nation, what is up? It's that time again. This is Luke. This is John. Say hi, John. Hey, what's happening? And Tex. Howdy. And, and we are the power, pre- pre- uh, the premier <laughs> podcast in strength and conditioning. conditioning. God, we are such fucking douchebags. Dude, we, I drive around, John, you know this. Uh, and I think we've talked about the terrible morning radio. In, in Austin. Uh, in Austin, it's like the, the morning fucking show. I don't know. So, in SoCal, we had the Woody Show, which I actually yeah. fucking enjoyed. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Woody Show. Um, so here's the what, the one guy, though. Uh, you, you know how everybody goes, pick one person to fight. Uh-huh. Uh, my new person, or actually who I, uh, when I was living in Orange County, I wanted to battle and fight uh, Graham in the morning. He was the morning oh, talk show dude on guy. the country station. And dude, he oh deserved God, a fucking so punch in the mouth. Is he? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> here's so my bad. fear. He, uh, Are we terrible? Like, guy. would we make a terrible morning no, radio show? No, not at all. You don't no. think so? No, no. I think we might be. Our a timing bit. isn't just as good. But I'll tell you, Graham in the morning, I would have got a fucking. So we would at least beat stop. out Graham in, Graham in the morning and the Austin morning shows. And, but yeah. we would make bits. We'd have good bits. Hmm. Okay. So, well, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, we're strapping ourselves in for another episode. I think this is going to be episode two million. million? Yeah. Dude, it's actually, guys, believe it or not, Those are the listeners. episode deuce, 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 two, two, two. Get the fuck out of here. Shut up. So we got to go. <laughs> so wait, wait, so we're all dropping a uh, triple deuce? Triple deuce. <laughs> we got a double deuce on the triple deuce. Oh, oh shit. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Luke's going to need at least 10 minutes to drop his deuce. First, <laughs> let's talk about the Power Athlete Symposium. December 8th, 9th, and 10th, we are announcing speakers as we speak. And I guess I have literally, I have no fucking, no order or no plan on how I'm going to drop these people. But I think it'd be timely. Well, why why are you sitting on it? Why are you hoarding these names? Well, it's it's a timing issue, right? So here we are (laughs) at this particular week, which is planned to announce our first speaker, which while we're recording, Adam Nelson is being announced, who we recorded with last week. This week... We're working and talking with Danny and Logan from Deuce Gym in Venice Beach and happens to be Logan is a SIG O of another one of our speakers. Maybe I'll announce her next week, which is Lindsay Matthews of BirthFit. And I saw that BirthFit mug, which gave me the idea there, Logan. Oh, thank God that you you gave the right name. I mean, you could have been like, oh, uh, Chelsea. Oh, wrong one. (laughs) Oh, is that like his host from different area codes? Lock it up. Okay. Lock it up. She she might be listening to this. Get off my Kool-Aid. Listen, people. Listen. So here's the Power Athlete Symposium. It's a three-day speaker event out here in Austin, Texas. All proceeds are going to benefit Wade's Army, which is leading the fight against neuroblastoma. It's it's a, our charity, 501c3, legit. We Your cash that goes into seeing these three fucking 12, 12 people speaking goes directly into a kitty that will fund uh, research or help families directly. 
right? So your money, you can watch your pennies go straight to families, right? Yeah, straight to families and then not necessarily research, but then trials. Trials, so okay. Trials that turned into research, so we're just giving kids opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise get at a treatment, and then that is in turn turned into research. So not just research, actual treatment that we're hoping to find a cure. So people, if you are interested, powerathletehq.com slash symposium. Uh, Friday we kick off. And then Saturday is a full day of speakers. Sunday morning is going to be practical sessions at Power Athlete HQ out here in Austin, which we are, have been in the process of building for only a couple of weeks. <laughs> and then uh, Sunday finishes with like a killer list there's, of speakers. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of pieces. A lot of ins, a lot of, a lot outs. of outs. It's just not a simple deal. I mean, just the fact that it <laughs> took us like six weeks to get chain hoists on the door doesn't mean anything. Yeah, well, that's their problem, the, the door people. Yeah. Anyways, without further ado, guys, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, Logan, Danny. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for for battling through those very complex technical issues out of the gate. Um, so why don't we hand it over, Danny? I'm just gonna call you out because you're in Hawaiian t-shirts, Hawaiian shirt, shirt, Hawaiian shirt Friday. Let's do it. Tell me about yourself, and tell me about your partner, your life partner. Is that a Topo Chico? This is a Topo Chico. Wow, look at that. I didn't even it know they is, sold the Topo Chico in California. They do. We have them in the Deuce Gym fridge, and they're mm -hmm. delicious. We also have the lime twist variety as well, which is that's very a, good. That's an Austin, that's a Texas Austin staple out here. I'll tell you what, little lime twist Topo with uh, the, the lemon deep eddy will get you faded. Like, <laughs> it, you cannot even taste the fucking booze in that thing. And you, it's, it's, it's drastically smooth. If you're like in a boating, you're boating. I'm a, I'm a boat guy now. I was on a pontoon boat last weekend, so I consider myself a boat guy. So that's the way to go. So you're seeing people now. So you love seamen then. Yeah, you're seamen. I would consider myself, yes, part of Just the seamen clan. Just on your face. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, go. So what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Tell this, me who you are. How, okay, so how about this? You tell me the story in the humble beginnings of Deuce Gym, which I, I think you know, within the space of the micro gym, the CrossFit gym owners, like you guys are on the radar, right? I think you guys have done a lot of great stuff. And I know Tex and I, and John, have you been there? Yes. Yeah, we've personally all been to the gym. We, we follow your all social presence. And you've created a culture, I guess, that Tex and I, through our travels and working at other CrossFit gyms, we don't see. We truly just don't see. And you guys are, I think, pioneering a lot of cool shit on building a group of coaches uh, having a member base that is passionate about what they're doing, right? Uh, I guess holding the standard is a way to put it. But uh, I know it didn't always, like, the setup that you guys had wasn't always what you started in, right? So it's kind of humble start in the park yeah. or something like that, right? Yeah, so I came out to California just because I knew I wanted to get involved in the fitness world and CrossFit was where I wanted to go. And so I was out here just doing personal training and then I started it um, – CFLA and that's where Logan and I met and we literally just started with our trucks in a park and we were just like the one thing we knew we didn't know much was that we were like everybody that comes here we're just going to love our people the whole time that's it and and then we'll just learn as we go because we knew we didn't know anything and we just kept doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it you know we were outside for I don't know two and a half years and then we got to a place where we could get a gym and then we got the gym and then it's the same deal it's just one more person keeps showing up, you know, and this is now we're, I think seven years in and we've just kind of been learning along the way and trying to get better. And, you know, it's been, a, been a hell of a ride. All right. So then even before, in a, in a, 
nutshell. So, so now talk about uh, before your trip out to L.A. So where are you from? Give us the, the Danny Leslie story. Midwest, Midwest, baby. I grew up in Kansas City, lived there my whole life. Um, literally didn't travel at all. I was typical Midwestern, just stay put. There was no reason to go anywhere else. And then I was just like, I got, I got kind of itchy after college. And I started out as a financial advisor, which was the worst job ever, 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 ever. Um, and I started hanging out in the gym a lot and then realized that these fucking guys that didn't know anything about lifting weights were making money showing people how to lift weights. And I was like, I'm going to do that. And then started that. And then that led to this kind of simple, but Midwest guy um, on the coast. <laughs> All right. And then let's just pass the baton over to the king of social media. You know him as functional coach on Instagram. Oh Our pal, Logan Gilbert. So Logs, we're babe. pals. I'll give you that. Babe, Logs, tell the people your story, man. <laughs> Oh man, uh, I grew up pretty local actually to the the gym. I think the spot of the gym straddles my route from my house to high school. And so we're passing through Venice Beach every day to to um, get to Santa Monica for that. And so coming back to Venice was a little bit of like a homecoming for me. Um, played baseball my whole life. This is a uh, fine place to develop some athleticism. You guys might be interested in that. <laughs> i tell you what, I cannot say another word before I recognize Texas commitment to the sport. I mean, the guy's going to go to 81 baseball games this year. I mean, and I appreciate that. So it's it's not for the athleticism, I'll tell you that. It's it's the social atmosphere. I appreciate it. I'll tell you it's the best cover charge of any bar. You go in, you hang out with your friends, and you just drink a couple beers with the game in real time versus on TV. Respect. Uh, so, yeah, my whole life I wanted to play Major League Baseball. Every decision I made sort of supported that goal. Uh, you know, got an opportunity to play in college and then later professionally for a couple years in the Padres organization. I sort of thought I would be 45 years old, still playing type of deal. And uh, so my career ended a little bit early, but along the way, some of the people I respected most in my life were entrepreneurs. And so I, in the back of my mind, sort of decided that I would express my sort of post-athletic life, you know, trying to create things as an entrepreneur. And, um, you know, I, just, I was 24 instead of 45 or whatever the, the, the story was there. And uh, sort of look, looking back at that short career, recognized, like I always felt like I, you know, struck gold with all my coaches and strength coaches and team sports psychologists. They, they sort of just fell into my lap. And I think it's very easy to go along that route, high school, college, professional ball, and run into a bunch of duds, for lack of a better word, people that, uh, you know, are just slanging some whack knowledge, whether it's in the weight room or, or in the clubhouse. And so obviously those folks were quite impactful in my life. Uh, the way I look at it is um, coming out on the other side of playing a sport for a living you sort of recognize that if the sport is going to sort of hunt out best practices, you know, you have 
people that are worth millions of dollars on your roster and they're paid to perform, you know, physically on a, on a baseball field that that game would naturally uncover best practices in terms of fitness and strength and conditioning. And then you take that observation and compare it to what you see in this sort of like billion dollar, multi-billion dollar fitness industry. You know, it's hard to ignore this glaring disparity, you know, sort of like what Danny said, it doesn't take a lot of work to observe just the, the craziness that's sort of going on. And so obviously this athletic pursuit uh, you know, infected every corner of my life. And so I saw an opportunity to bridge the gap between, you know, you guys talk about battling the bullshit, just essentially being a part of that message to battle the bullshit between, you know, what looks like real physical development and whatever the hell you would call what's happening in big gyms all around the country today, you know? So I guess you guys, so Logan, you started at as a personal trainer as well at a at a big box gym, or is that were you just out there like blasting buys and met Danny there? No, dude, I skipped every bicep curl. Obviously, um, <laughs> I had a, a sort of a roundabout route to where we are now. I uh, literally finished my career and then went back to my strength coach in college and said, "Hey, I'm going to move back to Los Angeles." here's what this sort of business plan looks like for, a, you know, essentially a, a, a school where people go learn strength and conditioning, regular people go learn strength and conditioning. And is there anybody in Los Angeles that I can go learn from? And he sent me up to you know, what Danny mentioned earlier, CFLA, you know, early affiliate. Uh, and he just encouraged me to sit down with Andy Petronic and, you know, I offered to clean his toilets and whatnot. So I interned with him and it, that was actually, again, like striking gold for the 10th time in terms of mentors, because, you know, looking back in what, 2009, 10, that was one of just a handful of CrossFit gyms, in my opinion, that were intentionally acting as a business. You know, they, Andy viewed that thing as a business first. He was an entrepreneur first. And so I very easily could have landed in a place that was just hyped on 2159 and, you know, slang and sweat on people. And uh, these guys had business systems in order. They were creating value beyond the training. And it was just the perfect environment to learn a, a sort of deeper expression of whatever you want to call it, CrossFit. Yeah, you know, I guess I feel like we've been out of the, the proverbial box life for a long time. But, John, I mean, that was one thing I, when I was a young CrossFit manager, right, that you would we would always kind of compare ourselves and contrast to some of the in, – in Orange County, they were popping up like, you know, like – like, zits on a teenager i was gonna say herpes at spring break but yeah uh, whatever that's um more accurate but it was like these people would go to open clubhouses right like like yeah. they weren't they didn't take a business centric focus they're like all you need to do is have recess have a good time whoa, and there whoa. is an element but, to that but, but there's I mean, a whole sub layer of running this fucking place like a business you know making what money keep that's the lights like on. yeah but i mean it's kind of like um you can't blame the people for that 
because uh, you know, I mean, at the at the level one, I mean, you know, uh, you know, his lord Greg Glassman would talk about, hey, just you know, find some people into PVC and just start doing shit in your garage, and next thing you know, you'll have members, and you know, I mean, that was the, uh, you know the dirt and dreams deal that he used to give and uh it just wasn't accurate because you had people that were well don't you think quitting. it was no well no i mean it was in the early days though like because you didn't have fucking well, five boxes down the street yeah. from you yeah i mean but you got to remember too uh, uh a lot of people that were opening crossfit gyms were not necessarily entrepreneurs or business people like i remember uh we had a yeah, guy they were hang on they were disgruntled financial advisors who yep. couldn't fucking hack there it in the market and they're like oh. <laughs> or, or fucking washed up failed uh, non-athlete baseball players who decided they wanted to uh, you know, <laughs> teach people how to do fucking Zumba clubs. We really know how to treat our guests. With oh, like, we're you know, the fucking best. Charm and uh, care for but, you know, and, and I think the problem is is that people looked at it like, hey, I love to lift weights, I love to train, this CrossFit thing's infected me, I want to infect everybody else. And instead of looking at it like, hey, because, um, I mean, we, we did that for the most part. I mean, when we started the gym, I just wanted a place to work out. That was it. And then... I went to training camp and came back, and uh, the guy that I had said, hey, you can train some people in my place, ended up fucking I show up, and the dude's got 40 people training at my house. Uh, we get evicted, and then it was like, hey, let's make a business out of this, which I never really wanted the business. Um, and then next thing you know, we had a gym and all this other shit, and it, it really um, didn't change my mindset that we needed to actually run a business until things kind of got dire and we were you know, in a bad situation. So, uh, and at that point... <clears throat> I think if people get into, you know, opening a CrossFit gym or they get into, you know, uh, you know, microbox or whatever, as long as they get into it knowing, you know, with both eyes what's going to happen, and they need some mentorship because unfortunately, um, until you get in and actually start running a gym business, uh, you have no idea what you're going to encounter. I remember. Uh, there was a time where I used to just run, like th- people would come in and ask me questions or say things or different things that I was like. Fuck, I would have never saw this one. I started writing them down, and I just stopped writing them down because there were so much. Like, uh, you know, I can't come train today because uh, I went out this weekend and blew like $1,000 on drinks, so I'm going to have to quit my membership, but I'll be back next month. <laughs> and then being like, well, we have a 30-day cancellation, um, so you're giving me 30. No, I need to cancel today, and I need like, that money Yeah, we back. can't do that. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Um, well, I'm just going to cancel this credit card then. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, or, or, huh, or like a lady's like, yeah, um, I need to put a hold on my membership. I'm going skiing for a month in the French Alps, and I don't want the extra hundred, you know, eighty bucks. And I'm like, so you're flying to France to go skiing for a month, uh, you know, taking a month off from your job. Well, I don't really work, and I'm like, oh god, okay, but I, I don't really have a, a hold. We'll just cancel it, and I'll, I might not come back. And it was like so fucking weird, or uh, you know, like uh, I mean, just I, I I had a guy who joined the gym just so that he could take a shower. Mm-hmm. He so he he joined. He pay her monthly, which was 180 bucks, <laughs> just so that he could use the shower because he had a uh, office near us, and he'd always be like, "Yeah, look at me now. I'm part of the team. I got hammered last night, slept in the <laughs> office. Uh, I don't want to drive home. Can I use the shower?" And I'm like, "No, it's for members only." He's like, "Well, can I join the membership?" And he joined just to shower, and then uh, and then he would like come work out on occasion. If we ever went on a run, he wouldn't come back because he'd just go get hammered at the bar. And you know what's crazy? He owns a CrossFit gym now in Orange County. Huh. Yeah, CrossFit. Uh, well, no, no, it's CrossFit uh, uh, Newport Mesa. So he crossed Costa Mesa and Newport and came out with Newport Mesa. You know, it helps with the SEO. But I mean, dude, it's um, it's just uh, you got to think, man. Like uh, um, I used to run into people constantly. Like I mean, my my favorite, I've talked about him for years, was Gail Yakum with CrossFit Strong, who was a whopping five foot four, one hundred and thirty six pounds came in, had uh, was getting ready to open his gym at 18,000 square feet. 
right? He just oh, took a small oh, business loan of like a hundred K to outfit this place. And he didn't, and he was two oh. weeks from opening, hadn't even had a member. And he came to my seminar and he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this big. And I'm like, 18,000. Wow. You're already a hundred <laughs> oh, grand in God. debt. And I'm like listening to it. And he's like, oh yeah, this is going to crush it. And, uh, he's still in business. And like, I'll tell you, I was like, yo man, like you got way bigger fucking balls than me. Cause there's no fucking way I would go in on an 18,000 square foot facility. Well, he, get he picked a strong name. Well, but here's the thing. The only other person that was weaker than him at our seminar was Lauren Glassman. So, I mean, I don't know. It was kind of an oxymoron. So, But uh, it just, it, you know, I, I, I think what, what's kind of interesting is, uh, you know, CrossFit really sold people. People weren't passionate. They wanted to open gyms, even if they had no experience. And at some point, they realized they had to be a business. And now we're kind of seeing this deal where uh, he's got two of them. Strong Austin he's, Ranch. He's where is, Austin. Where's Strong Austin Ranch? Let's go ahead and toggle that map. Okay, so for the listeners, Tex is on his uh, computer. He has gone and is looking on a web page here. What's he off of? 360 or one? What and is he that? looks like CrossFit Strong. He's off of... Oh, shit. He is, uh, has multiplied, and they're on an Austin Ranch. Well, you know what? Fuck me. How, how did I doubt Gail Yakum? But, uh, you know, and then I think at some point you got to progress into this deal of business, but the problem becomes is a lot of CrossFitters, even though they get into the business side, forget that they have to develop as coaches. And unfortunately, just uh, developing as a coach isn't something that just happens through osmosis. Being around the weights and people doesn't develop you as a coach. And I think what uh, Logan and those guys have done and similar to what we've done is how do you start developing people professionally to not only understand movement, to understand programming, to understand how to progress somebody day one. Because, I mean, you know, if uh, if it was all about just getting people in shape, they'd only be there for about six or eight weeks. I mean, I tell people, I can get you in the best shape of my life in about six or eight weeks or best shape of your life. Uh, but it takes me a lifetime to get strong. And the one thing that the CrossFit gym has done more so than any other, uh, you know, entity on the planet is they've put barbells in people's hands. I mean, you guys know this. I mean, you ran a CrossFit gym. I mean, you know, yeah, the conditioning's fun, but the day that you start teaching somebody how to lift the barbell and how to get stronger and they actually see progression, that's like when you know they're lifers. You know, the person that just comes in is like, how come we don't sweat more? I want to burn. I want to burn calories. They're what? Usually in about three months. But you have somebody come in and they're like, I want to pee on my back squat. I want to get stronger. Dude, those people are there for years. And uh, the one thing that was always very impressive about Deuce was um, you guys had a culture that was uh, really wrapped in this idea of strength and getting better and um, really doing well. Unfortunately, in Newport Beach, I couldn't convince people that being strong was a good thing. Uh, which is amazing seeing as you guys were able to do it in Venice. And I remember um, at some point when Luke was working for me, he's like, you know, why don't you just not come in anymore? And I was like, I was like, why? And I was like, so I started to manage trainer schedules and John's like, only have like six classes this week. I'm like, yeah, we're just getting the, you know, I need more experience out here. And he's like, I only have two classes this week. And it's like ultimately zero. He's like, fuck you. And I'm never coming fucking back to this place. And uh, he's like, you know, I, I just... One, I just don't think that uh, people are as excited about because I mean the only thing I was really excited about, like I'm, I mean me just being like three, three, two, one, go kettlebells and box swings or uh, box jumps. I mean I wanted to watch people squat, I wanted to watch them lift weights, I wanted to watch them progress and get stronger. And the crazy part is, is uh, I got more excited when they started doing well than they did, and I realized the day that I wanted it more than they did, then it was time for me to go, and I needed to be around a different group of people. So that was kind of yeah, my exit at the CrossFit yeah. gym. But, I mean, every time I've been up to Deuce, um, you know, for the times that I get to go on the fucking Wadcast podcast with those, you know, zany characters, uh, I always try to get there early and see what Logan and those guys have working, and it's always a great environment. 
And they have a uh, a keg of uh, nitro brew, which is fucking great. It's yeah. delicious. Fair enough. So I guess with that said, then talk, you, talk we, about uh, um, talk about the culture you created. Yeah, like, the, how, yeah, describe how. it for the listeners, because I guess I think I have a perception. Maybe you tell me the reality of what's going on at. What's Deuce. your perception? I'm, well, the dis- perception is that you. Uh, so here is, here is a struggle that we hear from gym owners. And interestingly enough, we've been working a little bit with like PE folks, uh, in, in Texas high school education and middle school. And they talk about this fitness class that they have going on. Like their fucking problems are unique to them, but they have people that suck the life out of the, out of the class because they're just those folks who show up and you're like, why the fuck are you here? Right. Or it's the, the ones that for whatever reason, there is not a synergy between the coach and client or athlete relationship. Right. And what we try to talk to these PE teachers about is like, this is, this is also a challenge within a private training environment where people are actually paying to be your client is, uh, you know, they show up and it's like, why are you here? Or like John said, you end up wanting it more for them, but I just kind of don't get that vibe from from being around your gym. Like people show up and are excited to be there and they're ready to be coached. And the gym owners that we talk to, they don't always have that luxury. They seem well, to focus their attention on the people who don't want to be coached and that becomes the reality a, within uh, their gym. They have something unique to them that I've never seen anywhere else. I think it's uh, Tate Fletcher showing up and Charlie Mansing people. <laughs> so that's what I think it is. So the answer is just Tate Fletcher. Yeah, I think you, I, I think we just need to clone more Tate Fletchers, and then Tate, who you know, not only smells like uh, like like tropical oils and cocoa butter. I think that's what uh, the Rock smells like. I just I think you know he's got you know like Tate's like a, a smell of like tropical you know cocoa butter and his and his strange uh, positiveness, but. Um, it's kind of a strange, like hi- a hybrid of positive, but with uh, fucking terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> reckless, abandoned serial killer, terrifying. Uh, I think people are like, eh, I, I think I want to be here. And then, like a few days later, it's like Charlie Manson. They're like, sure, we'll axe murder people for you. Like, I think, I think. <laughs> was that an accurate assessment of Tate? That's exactly yeah. it. Yeah, he's. It's a duality for sure. Yeah. He's a, we had him on a our big podcast, softies, but dude, to to this day, his podcast might be. One of the more interesting ones that went off the rails. I don't even know what he talked about. Four hours. Well, I, yeah, I mean, for with ninety minutes, that he comes was out of his about mouth. stick fighting with the dog brothers in like Venice Park. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then he yeah. like you know, and then he went on this transcendental meditation deal, and he was in you know stick fighting on like the rings of Saturn with his you know his mom's <laughs> in the car like waiting for him, and he's like, oh, you? I mean, it was it's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think for us, man, uh, culture is there's like utility there. So we're, we're sort of doing it on purpose, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think, especially y'all have been on athletic teams. Culture is just a better leader than leaders are. It's just the highest expression, probably most sustainable version of leadership. And so creating that, I think starts with just having a clear picture of what we are and what we aren't. You know, like many gyms, you know, we're talking about this micro gym culture. I think part of the mechanics of it is like people are getting into this and figuring out who and what the gym is as they go. And that's that learning curve is just sort of too slow. And so I think something that we've done a good job of is just having a clear vision of what this is going to be. And, you know, we definitely don't succumb to our stereotype. You know, when you walk into a CrossFit gym, no one missed the memo on like intensity and metal and 
that whole thing, right? And so I think it really helps set a tone where we sit people down in our our intro session, which is like a little meeting that happens before they join the gym, and we basically just change their mind. Like they're coming in because they want to like get a six pack or lose some weight or whatever their reasons are, and we get the benefit of delivering on that and creating something that they couldn't have known coming in. And so we sit them down and we tell them that, Hey, this is not valuable because this is the hardest workout on the block. This is valuable because you're coming here to get coached and we have a website. You can go on that website and get the workout for free and bang your uh, head against the wall at your local gym for 20 bucks a month. The reason why people come here is to get coached and not for nothing, this structure that looks like school. You know, um, I think part of the reason that we have a bunch of people who aren't missing the sort of forest for the trees is our jam is like beginner and intermediate athletes, to be honest, you know? And so if someone comes in rocking like some fresh nanos and they got some knee high socks on, like it usually doesn't work out. It just, it just doesn't. And, and we're trying to change their minds about, well, what is the point of a gym? And we tell them that our people at least understand that when they walk through that gate, they're coming here to learn how to move. And that already creates more value than a tough workout, you know? And so it's sort of setting that, that tone early on and with your language and how you are, you can create an entirely different reality. And so I think in a general sense, the vision of the, the gym and this idea of like, deuce and holding the standard is this idealistic thing to where anytime someone walks in there including the coaches like both of us walk in there and we feel the pressure this like not overbearing but this umbrella of excellence that we have to like i always say uh play up to you know and that transcends any one person or you know two guys that are charismatic or something like that. I mean, that's how most gyms go and it's just not sustainable. It's not really effective. You know, I think culture is sort of like intrinsic motivation for groups, you know, whereas like, you know, a top down leadership thing, it's just, it's going to be this extrinsic motivation and that just doesn't last and it isn't as valuable as, as culture is. And so, it sort of just polices itself, really. You know, we've all been on teams with, you know, assholes and criminals and people that you'd never be friends with, but it works because the culture keeps it on the rails. It keeps everybody moving forward to like a, a purpose. And so I think we've just been humble enough to make it about that than, you know, CrossFit coach, you know, top down celebrity leadership type of deal. That's not how it feels. I so think then, to, ahead, to add, hold on, I'm going to, hold on, I'm going to add to it a little bit. I think to go back like beyond before the intro, like for someone to get to that place, we kind of like have a lot of conversation with them to figure out who they are. So we'll talk about, you know, what their past has been. We'll talk about what like the cost of the gym is. This is like, like Scientology? It's Scientology. Yeah, you put basically. it in like one of those deconstruct deals and make them tell your uh, secret yeah. deal. John, it's called auditing. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and you need There's a senior like, to do that. There's only three surveys that they take. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, it's SurveyMonkey. It's really easy. You can use it with MailChimp. It's really simple. 
Um, but like to get to that meeting, it's not easy. So the people that come into that intro, it's like for us, it's free time. Like we're that's we don't get paid for that hour. So it's like we're not trying to talk to every person that comes in. So once those people get there, they're already a certain caliber of person. So we've kind of like vetted them throughout the process. And I think this like this this thing that we've created has kind of come from all of the days of like setting up things and no one showing up over the years. You know, we go out to the park and set up all the barbells and no one shows up and we're like, fuck, do we want to do this tomorrow? Like, cause no one showed up today, you know? And it's like having that, having that ability to go out there and do something and get the worst feedback possible kind of builds you to a place where it's like, all right, so this is how it is. And that's the culture that we are going to portray. And it's like, how do we make sure that people that come through this door to come into the program, like are going to stay because we don't just want everybody's money. It's not, that's not a win for us. That makes a weaker place, you know? So I think that that's been a big part of it too. So almost with culture, you have culture for your clients, your athletes, and then you have culture for your coaches. So when selecting coaches, or do you take that old school approach where you take members, athletes, and turn them into coaches? Or do you look for people to fit your culture and then teach them how to coach? So it's a, a little bit of a hybrid of both. So our thought is that we will not hire coaches. And there's a certain rite of passage there. So coaches prep is something that has been a part of our culture since we were in the park. And the reason for that is it doesn't take a lot of observation to realize how this goes bad almost every time in this micro gym place. Um, there's a gym maybe that has some success, whoever this charismatic leader fittest guy in his neighborhood person is, uh, decides he doesn't want to work 90 hours a week, one week. And so he hires another coach and that is understood in the community virtually a hundred percent of the time as a concession of quality, right? So if I go to, you know, Luke's gym for three years and I'm just, fully enthralled with this guy and i love luke and Sounds one accurate yeah hi, hypothetically speaking Callie, get and that then one tuesday morning i love luke and then we're gonna loop that the rest of the show go on <laughs> and then like one tuesday morning it's not luke and it's this other guy tex i mean even if tex <laughs> <laughs> he's ready he's ready who it's is the old shorter, bait and switch <laughs> Oh, we're, we're listening how I'm better coach. Who's, Go on. Who's even shorter. <laughs> Five so, and a half and he, didn't, he didn't like that joke. <laughs> First of all, you guys are all some short motherfuckers. So. This is the dramatic pause. Logan, this is called the dramatic pause. No, I can't, text, I can't believe dot, these, dot, dot. these fucking short guys are looking down on you guys. Fucking the midgets. Oh, my God. Danny, how tall are you? 6'3". And how tall are you? Logan. Uh, Six three. We've wow. met. Fucking midgets. Ooh. I don't know. I just know everybody. <laughs> we could shorter. probably. I, I just both. know you guys are shorter than me. I only ask people taller than me how tall they are. <laughs> mm-hmm. God. Oh my God. <laughs> so Tuesday morning comes around. Texas coaching, not Luke. Even if Tex knows everything inside of Luke's head and can communicate it extremely well, as a student, you view that as a concession. It's not your boy. It feels like a little bait and switch. It. At least it feels like right? you've 
What do you say? Initially. I mean, that's the initial. Initially, response. yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean but, sure. but hasn't like Luke had texts there kind of like, you know, like dressing him for battle each day. Like, you know, as Luke goes out there, he makes sure his socks are up and then he goes behind him holding his clipboard and his water. and <laughs> Girding you know, his lawn. Yeah, he's over there stalangi, stalanging him after working. Stalangi. Oh, he's you, using the stalangi. Do, do you guys, guys know what a stalangi is? Stalangi is? In this, in this no. scenario, I'm getting stalangled. Yeah. No. You are, no, he's using no, he's cleaning you with the stalangi. I thought yeah. I was the coach today. Yeah. Yeah, no. So no, I'm no. <laughs> You're not the coach. You're behind him making sure he's stalangied. Oh, I guess right now this is prior. Oh, yeah, this, this is, is prior. Yeah, this is how it up. should go. You, so John, tell us what a stalangi is. Do you guys is, know what a stalangi is? No. No. Okay. So in antiquity, like Roman and the Greeks, they didn't shower a lot, so the way they would clean themselves uh before um, whether it be like the gladiators before the Olympics, they would cover themselves in olive oil and then they would take this long kind of skinny bladeish looking up. thing and they would actually scrape the oil and the dirt and everything off them and then they put it in a big jar and then they, and then the, uh, like the gladiators and like the Olympic champions, that, uh, Stalangi, you know, oil, sweat, dirt thing would get sold off and turned into perfume for rich women. So I always joke that, uh, you know, when oh you guys are, God. you know, getting dressed for battle, that they have to be stalangied by their apprentice. How do you spell that, John? Do you know? Stalangi? Yeah. S-T-A-N-G. That's an L. It's got to be an L. Stalangi? Stalangi. I'm going to find it's this. It's got to be S-T-A-L. So anyways, there's Tex carving me with this metal thing. No, it's, uh, it's like, it's no, like, no, a, it's like a curved wooden thing. Oh, it's I'm, a wooden thing. Yeah, I was just, a coach today. Yeah. So okay. you're stalanging. No, but in John's world... I, you would be stalanging me. Yeah, no, I no. You. When you're dressing him for battle, you would stalangi him. Well, this is after three years after Luke stalangled. <laughs> well, you, so what we're talking about is, ladies and gentlemen, what you see at the Deuce Coach's prep curriculum. So you must stalangi the it Deuce Coach on the clock. You've nailed it. Somebody listening to this is going to be like a classics major and be like, I can't believe they know what a stalangi is. I, I hope for your, I hope for your sake that, that it's a real thing. It is. All right, I'm looking. Uh, Anyways, Logan. We can, we can contact Stephen G. Miller, the foremost expert in, in uh, ancient athletics in Greece, and bring him back on a podcast where he will verify the Stalangi. All right. Anyways, without getting back on the rails, so, Logan, you're talking about you know this, this top-down celebrity leadership. Now you're, you got this new assistant that shows up, right, and starts taking a, a, a totally engaged crowd of athletes who are getting getting their sweat on and now tech shows up and they're feeling a little little butt hurt right yeah and without the olive oil it's just <laughs> not a quality transition and so coaches prep brings the olive oil if you will right so <laughs> basically are, are we talking about like uh like virgin olive oil or are we just talking about like normal olive oil extra extra virgin okay that's the stuff yeah. yes so, you know, coaches prep in a lot of ways is a solution to being able to scale. And it's a solution to this complacency monster that hits many gyms. You know, you, you coach 21, 15, nine for six years and you hate your life, right? You're burnt out, you're over it. And so it's just our solution to continually evolve and to, honor this thing like i said earlier that hangs over us to to be better and pursue some sort of excellence and so there are some criteria that aren't crazy but they're important because they 
filter and show commitment. So people, yes, techs have to start from within the community in some capacity and they go through a, a series of developmental processes. Some of them are just um, sort of uh, hard to quantify like a mentorship. Basically they have a mentor and they progress their coaching ability in practice during a class each week. We meet every Saturday morning, all the coaches and those who are in development, if you will. And that happens forever. This isn't like a finite class. Um, it goes on forever. And the responsibilities of the group evolve through the concepts such that, you know, if you've been in coaches prep for four years, you then are teaching other young coaches. And that is a bigger challenge than you had the year prior, for example. The third part of it is just this testing phase, very straightforward written test. There's a verbal test uh, and then a practical evaluation of real classes. And, you know, I think many coaches that end up reaching out to us and, and gym owners, they get hung up on the idea that they know this is going to be a lot of work and that the yield on that might not make sense if you put it all in a spreadsheet. I mean, if you look at who's gone through coaches prep, the stats look like most people quit. Very few people end up being of a caliber ever uh, that are able to coach and contribute as like a leader in the community. But without it, we would for sure be two guys dicking around in the park still, you know? And so now we are just per like process and purpose driven animals that allow us to say yes to certain opportunities that you could never whiteboard or do like a little goal setting session and figure out, you know I mean? The, the, the deuce thing is growing and it's growing in ways that we couldn't have predicted just because we were committed to this particular process. So I want to talk about that process. So the purpose was always there and in the process, this, you said this coach's development has been there since day one. So seven years and now you got three parts. I want to know what parts that you missed on. What were the pieces that were cut out? Because, you know, the theory is this is going to help develop coaches, but then it was just a, a swing and a miss. So, you know, the testing process, like the one that you sort of pointed out, is fully imperfect, but it, it accomplishes what it needs to accomplish. When I'm talking to somebody about uh, joining coaches prep, I always tell them that the testing, the three tests, are the least important of the three. And that's because, and this is a general observation that has led to the coaches prep thing that's now online, is that, you know, it's the information age, right? Even though, yes, you have to have competency in what you're teaching and be a master of your craft, there are many, many more coaches that know enough to be impactful to their people, but cannot execute it and lead a group of people. They cannot get in front of a, a room full of athletes and move toward, towards, towards, towards tangible skills that are at least as important as what you know, and in many ways are more important. I mean, a coach that can lead a group of people and communicate clearly and effectively and knows enough is a dangerous 
leader, positive addition to a gym, in my opinion. Whereas somebody who uh, is a nerd for like, you know, every in and out of like mobility wad and all this shit, but they cannot hold a conversation with an individual is generally worthless. So it's developing a competency that will forever continue in terms of strength and conditioning, but can you develop the real skills that put you in front of a room of people and contribute? So then let me ask you this. Do you think that this development process or, okay, hang on. Do you think that the, this development process or that, that split of skill set, right? And how, how you've waited, uh, your ability to connect and engage and lead and create an organized and safe environment being secondary to, let's say the technical side of things. And do you think that's universal in your experience traveling around to gyms? And now I guess getting to work with gym owners around the world, right? I mean, cause you're, you're, you've gotten to travel for your seminar gigs and as well. Is that a universal truth? Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you say, uh, I'm not gonna let you define what I said as putting the technical aspects second. No, I just did. But yeah, well, I'm not gonna accept it. <laughs> so what I'm telling you is you need to have a competency in this technical understanding to a point, but I observe that there are more people with a technical understanding than are able to communicate what they know. And, you know, for us at the gym, it's obviously both mm -hmm. for the coaches prep thing online. We are laying a, a basic foundation that doesn't come anywhere near like the technical work that you guys have mastered, but we are solving a problem that I see in terms of your ability to communicate and apply these technical aspects of your coaching craft so that people can do the job of be, uh, being a coach in front of people, the craft of, of coaching. Yeah. So, I, and I guess as I'm sitting here, just kind of rethinking the, the point of having that technical foundation is not for you to fucking spout it out at your members. It's for you to be able to internalize what you're seeing, what you're observing in a group of people or an individual, process a potential deficiency, and quickly and effectively address address that, right? So that's why you have For this sure. – if you were a fucking mobility douchebag or – I don't know if that came out right, but let's say that's all you want to talk about. And use, <laughs> you want to use right. Oh no, we've, all this kinesiology we've, we've, exists. We've met people that yeah, have, yeah. have gone down like the the fucking to to, to kneel at the god of the supple. Leopard yeah, and I guess what and, I'm uh, thinking is <laughs> the person I'm thinking of for whatever reason, Tex is Landau or Lauren Landau. Super sharp guy, clearly has technical prowess. But if you watch him coach on like Train Heroics, fucking uh, their Iron House or whatever Powerhouse series, yeah. he's not like dude sharp, dude knows. But he doesn't say that shit to his athletes. What he's doing, he's using it as a, I guess, a filter, you know, like, you know, for to process the information and engage in a coaching experience, right? So it's that it's that process and filtration to be able to make the technical turn into coaching that people are fucking, people are missing, right? But his totally. his much like many coaches, education began with the body, mm -hmm. and then he found just 
athletes he likes with and his ability to connect and deliver information with them. Mm-hmm. So going from PT to connecting with pers- uh, professional athletes and now what he's doing, which is kicking some ass. So, you know, I like these three things that you talked about, knowledge, connect, and engage. Where you said connect and engage, I look at those as two separate pieces, components. So, um, again, ability to connect, that's almost like the, the assistant coach. Just well, in my perspective. Well, do you remember uh, when you guys were early on, we talked about uh, a little bit of my rhetoric stuff with like the ethos, pathos, yes, yes, and logos yes. and the ability to go in and like, you know, if you're going to win an argument or necessarily present, you have to not only create these, these three things and then you have to decide who you are as an individual and then stay in your wheelhouse. And this is something that we talked about, you know, for all of our power athlete staff is like, who are you? You're not me. You have to be you. We find who you are, and then you're going to be the best version of you, and that's your wheelhouse, so that you can get up in front of anybody, and you have, you know, comfort in, like, what your uh, strengths, and, and, you know, hopefully you develop your weaknesses, uh, but, you know, for me, I was never a fan of the CrossFit deal, where, like, only train your weaknesses. No, fuck, dude. Like, if you train your weaknesses, you abandon your strengths and who you are, and, you know, for you, Tex, I mean, like, we've always talked about this, like, the, uh, uh, you know, the information and really, you know, sinking your teeth into the minutia is really, you know, like who you are and what you really enjoy. Luke's not that way. You know, Luke's like, you know, birthday all, party. Yeah, well, he is. He's all birthday party. He's no physics class. Sum it up in <laughs> half a sentence for me, please. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> and I'll just disagree out of the gate <laughs> right? with whatever you say. No, but I mean, this is very true. Like, and, and you know, and it's, if Luke ever said to me, Hey, John, I just read this amazing book on strength and conditioning that was talking about, you know, stored kinetic energy in the Achilles. I'd be like, I was like, See, I, but uh, it's, like, all, it's all just pipes. It's all pipes. It would be an audio book. Or I'd be like, did Tex leave that over your face when you woke no. up? And you like, but, but, but for the same right, if Tex came over and told me how to create a, uh, a fucking network of wireless routers so that we could beam, uh, you know, Wi-Fi to the moon, I'd be like, Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, you know, like, uh, so I, I think for each of these guys and, you know, whether it be Callie or, or, you know, Carl or any of the guys that we have work for us, um, the big thing I've always looked at is like, you know, who are you? What are your strengths? You know, what have you done? Uh, you know, like, and then from that point, you have to speak from authority and understand it. But uh, a big thing, too, is from the early days across the football is people used to challenge us constantly. And, you know, coming from, um, you know, what I did in college, uh, we had a big deal in, um, you know, for grad school and also in uh, my undergrad was, you know, Socratic method. You come in, you know, let's read something and then you have to get up and argue. And if you didn't read it or you formulate a shitty argument or you just falter, then you get to leave that day and you get a fucking minus and uh, too many minuses and you get booted out of the class. So, like, we've always taken it, like, in our seminar, when we go present, if somebody, you know, has a question, they want to disagree, we stop, we fucking curb stomp them, and then we go on. And, like, that mentality of, like, always being able to present the information in such a way that uh, you can reach everybody and kind of, you know, how it positions itself against a different information is kind of where we sat. What I think is interesting with the do stuff is um, uh, I've watched people over the years uh, be paralyzed by information. Like you give people too much information and it paralyzes them or they're too technical and they don't know how to do it. But then you also run into people that are extremely charismatic and they, you know, this and they this, but they couldn't fucking tell you anything about what you're doing. So you almost have to create and look for people and say, hey, you know what? I need you to be charismatic, but I also need you to, uh, you know, have your head out of your ass enough to, you know, get people in a good, safe position, make sure they're having a good time and lead them. And it's, uh, it's not easy. 
people think it's just like training monkeys or something, but it's not. I mean, going in there and leading a class of 20 or 30 people um, is, is challenging and trying to make sure that, you know, everybody is having a good experience and what they want and does it fit within the culture, what you want to create, and then making sure that everybody that's coming and teaching your courses has the same understanding and can replicate the same experience. That was something I really struggled with at, uh, at, at my gym was that I couldn't get everybody on the same page to replicate the same experience that uh, people aren't coming there and paying a deal to just kind of get the, uh, eh, do whatever you want. Mm, that looks okay, I guess. Like that type of like apathetic, uh, you know, fucking middle of the road, wishy-washy bullshit drives me crazy. And like that type of stuff I, I don't deal with very well. So I, I don't know if that's apathy or that individual does not know. They don't know what's wrong. I think they don't know. I mean, well, okay, it could probably be both, both. as we know. Both. But again, working with these PE coaches... They just don't know. Like, there are people out there who have no fucking clue. Well, uh, but so case in point, like, uh, people people are impassionate, and, and this I know sounds crazy, people are passionate about what they like. Like, we went to go, you know, work with these PE people, and uh, all of a sudden these football coaches, I get to go talk with them, and um, all of a sudden, you know, you tell me playing the NFL, and we start connecting, and, like, all of a sudden these dudes, like, fucking lit a fire under them. They were, you know, engaging in this and this. I mean, just listening to people talk about how to teach, you know, PE kids how to barbell lift, but the minute you start talking about performance and this, and it's like, how do you tailor each yeah. message to reach each person? And that's what the one thing, and I'm, uh, I, I had some, or I had a guy yesterday ask me, he's like, uh, were you a, you know, kinesiology or, or, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, science major with, you know, cause we were talking a lot of, yeah, exercise science, yeah. um, and I'm like, no, I was a rhetoric major, English philosophy, argument and approach. And the guy was like blown away. And I'm like, uh, I'm smart enough to be able to study and understand the information. But the one thing that I was very fortunate to was, uh, it was presentation, the ability to talk, to formulate yourself, to be articulate. I mean, all these things were more important. And I realized that skill alone was more important than any type of um, you know technical information that I that I, I would learn in college. I could pick up later. So, I think uh, the big thing about you know coaching and the one thing that I always thought was funny was um, you know you, you know you have to be a salesman, but it's almost selling yourself, yes. selling the information and selling this. And uh, I think what you guys have done is um, you know this is who we are. We know who we are because a lot of people don't know who the fuck. Yeah, that's they are. the finding north type thing that we yeah like we about. we always talked about like who are you? Who are we? And then can you effectively convey who you are and what I want to teach to people and get them fucking buy-in? And, and if you that's can't... their lead-off from just out on the coach's prep page and they say their entry requirements for this course, why? Why do you want to coach? What does is, what is training mean to you? Why do you want to be an instructor? Um, why would someone want to you to be their coach? So that's the entry for the, the coach's prep. So again... Why, why begin with this? Why begin with why? Why not? It's just it, the whole thing is not going to be compelling enough if you can't answer that question. It's sort of the idea, right? And so sort of to answer your question and, and piggyback on what uh, John was talking about is, you know, something we throw around a lot just as a blanket sort of one-liner to, to indicate the type of coach that is sort of like, in our view, in some ways, the ideal coach it's that duality of like the person that is a master of their craft. They can go down the rabbit hole. They could be a, a mini text, but also have the, the humble approach to realize that no one fucking cares. Like the people that you're coaching, 
should not have the same interests and goals that you do. Like they are paying you because they don't want to be that guy to read all the books and to, and to go to all the seminars and to do all the training and to develop their craft. They are someone else. And so if you can have that understanding of context to where it's my job to be the master and drive sort of my own coaching evolution, but I'm humble enough to realize that, Hey, at the end of the day, it's not my job to make people care about, rep ranges and third poles and all of these finer details that you care about. If you can keep, you know, a perspective on what these people want, then you can get back to communicating effectively, which is what you guys are talking about. If you have a high technical skill, then you can sort of pick and choose what the message is for the people. At the end of the day, what we are, and I think what we do really well is coach general population individuals, general people with general goals. And so we can throw something like that up on the website because we feel confident that we can develop coaches, future coaches and leaders that have all different kinds of backgrounds and that they don't need to be um, the, you know, upper echelon, former Olympian coach with goals of getting a PhD one day to be impactful. And, and so if you can start with your why and embrace a culture that is, um, telling people that if they are authentically themselves, then they can be uh, effective as a coach, then we're not posturing as something that we're not, and we can be the best versions of ourselves. So how long, how many coaches do y'all have on staff? There's seven. And then who's next to you guys? Who's, who's your, or you don't have to tell me who, I guess you can do whatever you want, but how long is your, is like number three? Who's your third longest or oldest coach? Lindsay and Umbo. Lindsay and Umbo. But they've been like the coaches that we have have been in the community for so long. Like they were Lindsay and Umbo have been in the community since we were on the bluffs. They've been five, six years. And then I think the whole thing that like as we're talking about this, for us the long game is important. So it's like if you come in here and you're this great superstar or whatever you are, it's like that's great, but are you here for the right reason? And that's the long game. Like, are you here to affect people? Do you care? Like, is this about you and making dollars and your thing, or is this genuinely important to you as a person? And I can tell you that the way this place has been built one by one by one by one is like torturously slow. But with that, it's also very rich. And I think, you know, in people, and then the coaches prep program is the same way. It's like, you know, you've been coaching for 10 years and you come in, you're like, man, I got to be a member for three months. And then I got to take this class. And I got to take tests. Like I have my CrossFit level three or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, but this community is a thing. And if you want to be a part of this place, you have to be in this for the long game and you have to be that thing. And I think that's where the success comes from. It's like that genuine, I really care. And I really want to have this effect on people. You know, and I think that's been a big part of it. And I, I guess when I'm it as it should, and what I'm getting at is, so you got Embo and Lindsay are, what is their, is there a continual process to develop them as coaches or do you, I guess, how do you keep, how do you keep a coach interested per se? And I, and maybe they're in a different, and I'm not talking necessarily about deuce. I'm talking, let's say you have coaches who are, are in this journey. They have a similar setup. And then all of a sudden they get coaches to a point where they're, that coach is pretty fucking good. Right. And they're like, you know what? I'm going to open a CrossFit trace. Hmm. What do you think about that little guy? 
you know, and they <laughs> pop off and they open the gym or, down the street or, from you. Or, or CrossFit, who know? Yeah. Or, before Deuce, that would be cold-blooded yeah. shit. Prequel. It's <laughs> like a movie. But uh, I guess, you know... Well, I, mean, I don't know. Just kind of, I'm, I'm thinking but, uh, about that because you get you develop to a point, and then if you can't offer that coach continual development, well, how are they going to feel fulfilled or satisfied? Well, uh, no, I I think that's kind of interesting. I mean, there's there's a couple different. I mean, we we've seen you know, this is kind of a I don't know if this is an observation or what, but uh, the gyms that seem to spawn that are the ones that are really not very ethical. So we, uh, you know, there was a gym in our area that was kind of unethical, and they were shit bags, and uh, they ended up. Uh, splintering and clients went out and actually opened gyms with the expressed written, you know, fucking doctrine of fucking ending these people. And next thing you know, like these people have like, you know, spawned seven or eight different gyms in the area that all have like the singular mission of ending this one. And I'm always like, God damn, this is crazy. I mean, we didn't really, I mean, other than maybe one person who, you know, ended up leaving opening a gym. I mean, it wasn't really like that. I mean, it's, um, I think when people come and they like the environment and they're doing well and it's, um, you know, uh, people are ethical and it's good, um, I think people tend to stay. I think when you have, um, you know, you're a fucking shitbag and you're, uh, you know, unethical, I think bad things happen. So, um, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you guys have had this situation where trainers have left and opened new gyms or, you know, and had, you know, maybe, uh, you know, bad intentions for you guys, but you guys don't really strike me like that. Whereas, we kinda, James well, Gary, I guarantee what I'm saying, fucking, you're like, oh yeah, that happens all the time. We we kind of were on the completely opposite side of that. With when we came up in CFLA under Andy, we actually were part of the gym and were competing for the gym, and we started this program in the park that was you know five miles away from his gym, and we were athletes at the gym, and we had our own gym kind of, we had our own business and, but we kind of were very vocal with him about, look, man, we're not trying to take your people. This is not the thing we want to do this. And that relationship worked out, you know, and that was a, a very interesting, you know, conversation to have. And I think that came down to just, just respect for each other, you know, and then we opened another gym. And then ever since then, it's like, we're just down the road from each other, but we, You'll send people back and yeah, forth. But and, you guys aren't really down the road know. from CrossFit LA. I mean, even though in, in like maybe the I mean, global sense, but you guys, uh, between you, where you guys are in Venice and they are, might as well be the difference between fucking Austin and Orange County. Like, I mean, there is so yeah. much difference, right. especially in LA where you go, you know, three streets and it completely changes neighborhoods, demographics, everything. So it's it's not yeah, like, but, I mean, we had a CrossFit gym yeah. open up in our parking lot across the parking lot from us. <laughs> I, you know what's funny is like I forgot about that yeah. place, <laughs> and <laughs> like, and the and even working there. Like, yeah, I mean, no we, you know, like, like we were, you know, when we opened our gym, I mean, shit, we were three, you know, two or three blocks from another CrossFit gym where we had trained at, <laughs> and I mean, it just kind of like the uh, no, they can certainly coexist because it's you know it's a it's an extension of the of leadership, and there's just so much different. It's it's a different program. It's different equipment. It's just it 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 might as well be a different fucking world. But I guess looking back at you know your your guys' did, growth at CrossFit didn't Andy LA. sell that place? He did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who did he sell it to? Kenny Kane. That's right, Kenny Kane. That's right. But look, I guess looking back to a situation where you you as a mentor, which you know, you know, maybe it was formal or informal. If you have a couple young gohards, you know, a corporate washout and a baseball washout, who want to uh, grow into something, and you can't provide a platform for growth. I guess you got to accept that like yeah. baby birds going to spread its wings. Right. So, and I look back to yeah. my, 
my experience at the before I moved out here to work with or moved to California work with John, the guy that I worked with, like he saw he saw the growth and he's like, I'm gonna have to get a second location for this guy. Like so that was in his plan, his business plan is he didn't want to see me say, Hey, Sayonara. He was prepared to say all right, let's do let's grow together, right? But, well, I mean, isn't that a mindset like an entrepreneurial or think, oh, how can I grow with this guy? Or oh god, this guy's gonna well, I mean, uh, attack me or something. Uh, the uh, like, like I remember when our one trainer wanted to open a gym, and and it was with her and another member, and I was <laughs> kind of like, I would have opened a gym, but I don't know if I would open with another location, but I don't know if it would have been with you fucking people, <laughs> like. Uh, like I think you know, as a gym owner, and I'm sure you guys ran, you know, saw this. Like as you guys put people through and had you know good coaches, and you start seeing it, you almost are like, all right, man, let's go out and let's go out in the world. Let's start another location. You guys opened uh, uh, Deuce Garage, and I'm sure you guys would you know create more and more locations as people became like, hey, I want to do this. You're like, fuck. Well, yeah, because y'all have Deuce Athletics, and then Deuce, who's who's the guy on, opening on set movie? What's going on there, Logan? Uh, that's a top secret. Um, oh, I just <laughs> not, it's no, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a situation where we get contracts through movie studios to prepare actors and stunt people for their movies. And it's sort of, this speaks more to the culture, right? This is, this goes back to if we handle our process, which is to commit to developing people to be better than they were yesterday or the, the year before, then we have a chance to say yes to certain things. That's the only reason why Deuce Athletics was able to exist is because we were committed to developing people and then an opportunity comes around where someone says, hey, uh, we have a, an opportunity and, and we have a need to develop a program and we had a, a solution and sort of the rest is history on that thing. Um, Lacey Mackey from Caveman Coffee and Lindsay used to work together almost reluctantly, uh, basically being on call, offering their services for folks in the, the movie industry. And when you have a process oriented organization that is constantly developing people, then that can evolve too, to where they can scale up and say, all right, well, there's this project coming up. You know, uh, they just got done with. Uh, the newest Jurassic Park, right? So um, can we outfit a set? Can we provide trainers based on like personality and need? The answer is yes. And there's a certain ubiquitous quality there. That's how that sort of comes from, you know, but uh, I think it comes back to this idea of if you go and try to do some goal setting, you sit at a whiteboard and you say, Hey, we need to have eight gyms by 2020, your behavior starts getting weird and you start sort of forcing things that aren't there yet. And so what's in our control is this ability to develop leaders and not for nothing, it's getting weird in a good way where, you know, opportunities are coming up and we can navigate these opportunities. However, we see fit or sort of in the driver's seat, if you will. And, uh, and it's sort of, it's, it's growing in the way I think that, that we would like, without a real concession of the message or, or the brand. Um, when it comes to dealing with people leaving and, and it being weird uh, in terms of opening up a gym down the road, like I would just quickly say that a couple things. One is the rite of passage that we put people through to be a coach at the gym is just so involved that it weeds out so many of those 
intentions. And, and even if somebody got into the gym and their intentions changed halfway through, I really believe that, um, you know, we throw around this like pun, you know, it's like zero competitors since 2011. And it's sort of like, we just don't want to play that game. There's even though CFLA is a little further away, there's CrossFit gyms all over the place. And I think if you're living in a world where you believe that there's a certain amount of people that are CrossFit people, then you're going to view this like fixed pie situation where you can only slice it so many ways. Like I said, our worst nightmare for lack of a better phrase is the nano wearing crossfitter who walks in and is like, Hey, how much is it? You know, it's like, that's, that's not our game anyway. Right. And so if you open a gym across the street, go for it. You know, we're, we're so sure as to what we're trying to do that I think a lot we're resistant to a lot of that stuff. Um, and then last thing I'll say is I wouldn't have taken me on as an intern if I was Andy, you know what I mean? Like day one, Hey, I, I want to come learn from you because, uh, this is a goal that I have. I want to open a gym. Like there's no possible way that that intern could serve the community in a way that an intern who is committed to the brand could. And so we're sort of, we have this environment where the people that are at Deuce want to be there and they don't want to be anywhere else in the world, you know? Well, I guess I kind of, I, I would disagree. I wouldn't say that you would just turn away at the door because I guess I'm going to go back into this, the dichotomy of this transactional versus transformational, right? So I, I, I know John, you know, some of the coaches that we had at Balboa early on in the early days were probably out of necessity. You know, it was yeah. a different, it was a different leadership. You had different management prior to that. So that's that transactional, hey, we need someone to cover some classes. This person's not a dipshit. They look pretty good. They speak the speak. Um, we're not looking to to grow into this mega brand. Coaches, like, they were there. The, the transformational approach occurred when someone showed up to the door and was like, hey, I want to be on the seminar staff. Sure. That was a different onboarding experience for a Balboa coach, at least because that was – when I arrived, right? Because and I think I might have been patient X there. Ben and some of the other folks were there just out of, I mean, his look, well, it location was, and timing, yeah, no, right? It, it was like you know, Ben came to work for me, and then when we started the cross of football, um, he was he was know, there. Yeah, he was there. I mean, it was like, hey man, we need warm bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after you know, I mean, you know, you're 136 seminars in, and you're still not ready to you know to lead it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that was uh, you know, but I I also am extremely stubborn mm-hmm. where. Um, if I, like, I imagine that, uh, and this may be come from the fact that my favorite mo- movie is uh, Shawshank Redemption, but what does he say? Like, given enough time, like, and enough pressure, everything becomes a diamond. Mm-hmm. So I always looked at it like, if you could create enough time and enough pressure, I can eventually mold you into the diamond. And, um, you know, that was kind of a little bit of my attitude with some of this stuff. And maybe that was, uh, you know, Zuber, you know, fucking exuberance or uh, ego or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, once I started people in that motion, I realized, like, all I got to do is give them more time and more pressure, and I'll eventually hammer them into who I need them to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a while, I realized, like... I don't no, have that much time. No, I don't have that much time, <laughs> or I, I can't keep... I mean, like, the level of pressure that I yeah, had to it, apply, all of a sudden... You have you to have, be diligent with that. Well, that and also, you know, you end up having, uh, you know more business ventures, kids, wife, that whole thing. And all of a sudden your ability to enact pressure 
starts fucking getting separated or you know uh spaced out right and um you know but for the same right man like uh to and i've always told you guys this like the ability to get up and present and captivate people for not just 10 minutes not for five minutes but for you know multiple hours over the course of a weekend isn't something that you can just fucking teach somebody they have to uh, get in there. They need to stumble. And that was kind of when I threw you guys out there. Remember, I would just be like, mm-hmm. okay, you guys are teaching this. And you guys would go out there and fucking fail. And you'd be like, oh, God, that was awful. I'd be like, yeah, it was awful. But you know what? Next time, <laughs> isn't going to be more awful. Those, those were great learning experiences. And the problem becomes most people aren't willing to like have those levels of failure. And most people aren't willing to sit there and let people fail. Or have, the honestly, the opportunities to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for you guys, I was like, you guys, you're going to suck. And then you're going to keep getting out there and eventually it's going to suck less and less. And then you guys are going to be good. And then like, you know, you guys got paid a nice compliment by, uh, by Lori where she's like, you guys are really good at this. And like when you, we were talking about it yesterday, I'm like, there was a time when, when, when we weren't. And there was a time when, uh, fuck, I got up there and it was awful. I remember the first seminar I taught, it was hilarious. Uh, all of CrossFit HQ staff was there. And after about five minutes, Glassman got up and left and shook his head and said, we don't need to worry about these guys. Yeah. And I fucking tanked. And it was fucking awful. <laughs> and uh, they, they all left. And that was it, which was probably the greatest thing because they never came back. But, um, you know, but here's the thing. Like, you have to make, and I'm sure you guys have seen this within your own coaches. At some point, you have to make this, like, mental uh, switch, almost like a decision where you're like, I'm not going to go softly into that good night. Like, I'm not going to suck anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn my craft. I'm going to be good at this. I'm going to captivate. I'm going to be passionate. And uh, I'm going to be the person, you know, that these people expect me to be and that everybody expects me to be. And I think for you guys, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, uh, I'm so, you know, many times very proud when I get to hear you guys get up and present, uh, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, seeing China Cho go out there and compete at the cross of games, like always gives me uh, a level of pride because I remember how fucked up her knee was at that first seminar and how much work we did. And then to see her go do all this stuff, I'm always like, dude, I just, I'm just always blown away that people can make that level of like commitment and come back and persevere through that stuff. So, but it, it goes back to what Logan said. It, it can't be <coughs> extrinsic. It's got to be intrinsic. And then the, the way they set up their education system and then way you set up yours with pressure and diamonds that was all intrinsic motivation there was nothing coming from the outside what are you talking about i was fucking putting you in a well i mean there's raf tried to kill me well yeah but that's that's pressure and and raf probably is the same way i mean i'll tell you guys uh i don't know logan if you guys met rafael ruiz but i trained with raf um majority of my nfl career and rafael's entire coaching method was based on time and pressure and creating uh, <laughs> underwater. Oh, dude! It, it, I mean, like I was telling this guy yesterday uh, when, when we went to do this deal. He's like, oh, you know, uh, this older guy was like, you know, I remember growing up, we had no AC, so that you know, like when we went out and practiced playing football, like we were used to the heat. And I think these kids today live in the AC too much. And I, uh, I told him like, dude, when I was playing in the NFL, we used to train in Tampa, and the warehouse that Rafael was training in had no air conditioning and had skylights. And we used to train at like 10 to 2. It was like a two-hour deal in the middle of Tampa. And that fucking warehouse was like 110 degrees, uh, just sweltering. And I remember Rafael would come in with like a sweatshirt on and be like, <laughs> not even sweating, and being like, is it hot today? And I'd be like, this motherfucker. Like, like somehow <laughs> cold-blooded. Well, some, somehow he willed himself not to sweat. But like that type of situation where you create heat, pressure, you know, struggle, strain, like you either fucking sink or you swim. And that was our training method, and I did that for you guys too. But good coaches, they provide the direction. So much like this course, right, Logan, you're providing the direction, but you're still that 
person needs to be intrinsically motivated yes for them to go through this and become people who have to want it. you expect them to be they got to want it yeah. if if they don't want it they're not going to work this hard and i guess yeah. going, but going back to having a kid come in who's like hey i'm going to start a gym i think if you are in the fortunate position of having an identity that a you know you know where north is and b you believe in if you take a kid in like that I just think you you present a polished team to be a part of, and they're going to go, there's no fucking way I can create this. Or maybe they will. And you know what? You strike out, but you could have a driven member that could help expand your team to be kind of a plank holder or a player. Um, but that's a risk because uh, if they're a young Logan, they're going to fucking pop off and do something better. you know. But, but if, if, that- you ha- if you don't have that, then you can only take them to a point – Provide some mentorship, allow some uh, some learning experiences, but they're going to outgrow, you know, and they're going to have to spread their wings. So, regardless, intrinsic, extrinsic, it's about. I think it's about the the environment that you have to offer, right? Because I like I firmly believe that we have a team and we're creating an experience out here with the block one and everything we're doing with the academy and the methodology course, where even if someone came in. And was their intention was to try to replicate something. They would just be like, fuck that, I'm on board. You yeah, know? good luck, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like nine times out of ten. Like, fuck that, I'm on board. Uh I, guys, well, I mean I'll do it. You know, think about how many times uh I went to go teach seminars and I can remember we were in Seattle and this dude walked over and like we were getting ready to get set up. He came in, we were like, you know, taking attendance, and this dude walked over, shook my hand, and told me that uh uh at the end of this course he was going to work for my seminar staff and he was, he's like, I'm here to work for your seminar staff at the end of this deal. You're going to hire me. And I was like, fuck yes. Bring it bitch. Oh, I, I, I was it. I don't know who he is. (laughs) Yeah. He's didn't make the cut. Uh, so he told me this and I was like, awesome. I'm like, you know what? You're, you're going to fucking get the fire hose then. I'm like, you know what? If you can stay up with the information and you're here, dude, if you're, if you avail yourself to what you're telling me, like your fucking actions, meet your words, you're fucking in. And I was stoked. I was like, good. This is the type of shit I like. I like when people fucking put it out there, fucking, you know, just put myself out there for, for struggle and strain and failure. And uh, let's see what you got. And I'm in. So, dude, I was fucking on this dude. Like everything. I asked a question. I'm like, every question I answer you or ask you better answer. And I'm the king of rhetorical questions. So I just fucking answer them. I'm like, so what do you think about this? And then I look and I'm like, okay, well now. And they, they know if they don't answer, I'm just going to tell them anyway. Um, even text yesterday was like, just fucking tell them. Like, that that was did. actually me. I'm like, why don't you just tell us? <laughs> uh, fuck, because it's a learning experience and rhetorical questions are a fucking valuable experience. Those people weren't going to say No, that. I know. Uh, and so we fucking get done uh, the whole deal. I coached him when we did the uh, the deadlift banded resisted run deal and uh, pull up. Uh, the and, good old uh, days. Yeah. And uh, at the end of it, he walked over and he got his, you know, he passed the court or he passed. I gave him a certificate and he's like, yeah, I'm not ready. Um, I'll contact you with them ready. And that was uh, 2010, and it's been seven years, and I've never heard from him. And I was like, I was like, really? I was like, you didn't do that bad. And he's like, I just realized the amount of information that you guys were talking about, the way you were presenting it and putting it together. I just don't have a base for this. And for the most part, like, I don't think I can get up and present like that. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Doctor Strange? Yes. Have you all seen Doctor Strange? Yes, it's no. pretty good. No. But it, he was exposed to essentially drank from that fire hose, which shown how much he doesn't know as a, a cocky doctor know it all. And then his approach was uh, teach me. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the person that freaking just, you know, shuts was, down, was handed super training. 
and shut down or given a, a berating. I think one of the podcasts Luke and I did, he mentioned a story where you handed him one. It Who? was at old, old Balboa. Uh, I walked in, I, I think it was the, there was two seminars right when I joined the team and one of them was Northampton. And I'm like, so am I on the seminar staff or what? And you're like, step into my office <laughs> and you shut the door. And you're like, you don't fucking know anything. And you have to understand being on the seminar staff is not a right. It's a fucking privilege. And then you're like, now go. <laughs> and like, could you imagine? And I, I just remember being, that was when I, I'm like, all right, well, I got to fucking learn. And then you selfishly had twins, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and just, and dude, how crazy was this? So I, I had the girls and Luke used to come over yeah. at like 10 or 11 at night. And we would sit there while I was feeding kids or like whatever. And we'd go over and I'd talk about like the methodology and he did, he sat there with his notebook and he just came over and I'm like fucking holding my kids trying to like rock them to sleep as so I'm like, okay. Little angels. And then we have the central nervous system efficiency mm -hmm. and we go into rate coding and like I'm describing all this fucking training adaptation for, for stuff. And that was how he learned it. And yeah. he took fucking notes. And then the best is all of a sudden I hear him get up and present and he's like regurgitating this information, not in the way that I said it, but had put his own spin and take on it. Which at which point I was like, awesome, because I don't want autistic monkeys, dude. I'm not looking for people to repeat for me. I'm looking for you to absorb the information and present it your own way. That's when you guys are like, oh, I changed the seminar a little bit. I'm like, perfect. Mm -hmm. Fuck, make it your own. Like, this isn't something that has to be carbon copied. This is something that should be leave, you know, living and breathing. We change the seminar all the time because one for audience, for equipment, for this. I mean, sometimes we went in and uh, you know, asked questions, be like, you know, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And you realize there isn't a single person in there that had any basis. So all of a sudden I don't have to get in, you know, I don't have to go full wheeze on them mm -hmm. and talk about fucking an hour of physiology when, you know, they don't even know what, uh, you know, three muscle contractions are. So it's like being able to talk to your audience. And I think that's where we went back to the, to the methodology course was that we got so frustrated over the years going and teaching to people that didn't have a foundational knowledge of the information we needed for them to appreciate the seminar. So then by, by creating the methodology in the book and all that, now they can take that information and now at least we can start to have a, uh, you know, a meaningful conversation where, uh, you know, you, you've done the reading, you've done the information, this is what we need to learn. Now we need you to have a conversation with us. And I think like that's for me has been so uh, exciting for finally we're going to get to go teach a seminar where I don't feel like I'm fucking beating my head into a wall with information that people should already grasp because I, I, you know, like we said, it's, it's, um, you need to be able to create the experience, but I think as a coach and a trainer and somebody that's, and I hate, you know, animals have trainers, fucking humans have coaches, um, that when you go in and work with your classes, you need to have enough of an, uh, you know, enough information based upon physiology and training and some different things so that, uh, you can see things happen in real time or you start to understand stuff like, the day that uh, I had a guy who didn't tell me that he had a heart trouble and would go into AFib, do a bunch of kettlebell swings. You know, I mean, and I don't know if you guys know, but squeezing a bigger, you know, type of, you know, the, the kettlebell and actually the bigger grip squeezing it ramps up blood, uh, uh, blood pressure. And all of a sudden we're doing kettlebell swings and he's squeezing it and his blood pressure goes to the roof and the dude's an AFib. And he, you know, and all of a sudden his watch goes off and he's at, you know, 204 beats a minute. And I'm like, this fucker's like 65 years old. I'm doing 220 minus 65. I'm like, oh God, call the ambulance. And I'm like, do I call 911 or do I push him outside, lock the door, and run? <laughs> and uh, he goes, it's okay, I'm in AFib. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, like, do I got to get the, you know, do, do we have a, a, a fucking, you know, shocker deal for the heart? I mean, like, like what do we do? Uh, you know, and then I go back and I do some research and realize that, you know, the fatter grip of the kettlebell, when you start squeezing, ramps up, you know, blood pressure faster. 
or you bring in somebody and you're like, hey, you're here to do CrossFit and you want to do high intensity mm-hmm. exercise, you know, constantly varied, uh, but you're on three different statins. You know, um, did you know somebody that is on excess statins and they do high intensity exercise has a greater chance of injury and rhabdo and a bunch of other things. So then telling people being like, Hey man, you're on too many medications to necessarily do the type of training you want, but here is the lead in that we need. So having enough information so that you don't fuck people up and you ask them the right questions. Well, I didn't know that statins had to do anything with exercise. I'm like, well, here you do. Here's the information. So I think, uh, you know, not only to cover your own ass, but to, to give the best product, you have to be armed with enough information more so than just like fucking let's turn on the music and fucking rock. And where Danny, you talked about the first thing you do is sit them down for an hour of your own time versus just pushing sales. So if this individual with a heart problem would walk in some guy that's just there for a job, he would say, all right, here, here, sign this. Let me take my commission and then don't die. We didn't really yeah, I think have it's don't, a bit. the don't die policy. We just let them, you know, it's roll the dice. <laughs> I think a big thing with it too is like when you're building this thing, you know, it's when you talk to someone about the program in this intro or whenever, it's like, listen, this is a place, really a place for a certain kind of person. And this is really not the place for another kind of person. And you're probably one of those two people and I'm not going to, tell you which way to go. But if you feel like this is something that's for you, I think you found your choice. But if you don't, then that's okay too. You know, and I think that like disarming them a little bit sometimes helps because there's a lot of excitement that goes around in this, in this like fitness world. And I think people make poor decisions because of that sometimes, but to like level with them and be like, listen, I think this can be great for you, but we are where we are, you know, is, is a, a worthwhile conversation. That's part of this intro session or part of our conversation as well. So I guess coming up as established, I guess you can consider yourself established gym owners in the space, right? Um, what advice would you have given yourselves back in the day? You know, maybe coming up, what, you know, or mistakes have you learned from? I think uh, a, a piece of advice, this is something Danny said, actually probably fully seven years ago that I think about and use on a daily basis is he, we sat down, I think at like a coffee shop someplace and it just came up in conversation as we were coaching in the park. And he's like, you know, something we do really well that we need to kind of do forever is every class is our little mini Super Bowl. You know, it just have, we have to come out of the gate and deliver like a max, coaching effort like max it out and and so if you can't put yourself in the headspace to deliver on your thing and you take that for granted i think that's the day that you're sort of done you know um it's it's sort of just treating this thing like remembering what your product is and it's for us it's it's coaching being able to come out of the gate and deliver an effort day in day out every single day over and over and over again I think like the, the thing that I think about, and this goes back to something that Logue touched on was like the standard that we, you know, it has says hold the standard in gold in the gym is like, that's not like, that's up for grabs every day for everybody. Like the place and the, and the spirit of the place is the standard. It's up to us to keep that or not. So for me, that translates down to like someone comes in the gym and they have a, a an interaction with, with you 
this interaction either brings them closer or it drives them away. And it can be a different color. It can look different. It can, but it, at the most basic level, if you as a coach, if you can teach a person to, to bring people into this why or to be a part of it, you're creating something. If you can't put that together, you're missing something. And that comes down to like an understanding of people. It comes down to understanding of purpose. And it's like, you have to have time with people to understand who they are. And I think that we have done a very good job of giving ourselves time with people. And I think that it just kind of, you know, it's like the law of attraction. It just kind of keeps going and gets bigger and bigger as you go. So I guess in summary, no fucking fancy marketing follow-up loops and, and sales funnels. It's just knowing who you are fucking and being passionate. And if you don't have it in you, I mean, and there is, I mean, you have to follow up with people. Yeah, no, there, I mean, there, is, there is a layer of like business best practices, right? And I, what I would hope is common sense. But like you said, John, some of these guys who get into this stuff sometimes aren't. And I don't know. I, I don't know who the new gym owners are. Like what in, in this day and age, CrossFit is what, 20 years old? Now, like the yeah. CrossFit affiliation process. Oh, I was going to say like 1974, supposedly. Oh, well, you know what I mean, right? Uh, I, you know what? I, I think the first one was what, 2001? Is that what it was? Yeah. So we're 15, 15, 15 years. Yeah, it's called 15 years. You know, at least when when I was in the when I was in the trenches, you know, duking it out with the rest of the boxes, like it was, it was a mixture of guys who were like getting out of real estate, uh, you know, getting out of their day jobs or. And, and jumping into this thing, right? Financial right. planners, um, right. but like, who is who's rehab. opening gyms now? Getting like, out of rehab. Is it is it? Are people opening second <laughs> locations, third locations? Is there like a three location? Like, uh, well, I th I think we've seen a weird deal or? where I think a lot of people started trying to build multiple locations, and then they realized that the time and effort and money and expense of having all these different locations and things probably was killing their bottom line. And well, unless you had a fucking... Unless you had soldiers. Unless you had a playbook and a platform, yeah. right? And, you know, I, I guess I use that term playbook, but it's it's essentially what you guys are have put together. It's like if you know if you know what you are, some of these decisions don't become complex. It's just a matter of real estate, you know, uh, because you just plug them in. And then, uh, and it's a bandwidth issue at that point. But I, I don't know. Are there still guys that are, I guess, making the same mistakes that gym owners were making fucking ten years ago? I guess. Is I hope not. I mean, I hope there's enough professional development stuff out there on how to own a gym, business systems. I mean, I remember, you know, when we originally started, we were like tracking members with spreadsheets. You know, now it's like they have, um, you know, Mind Body Online. They have, you know, Front Desk. They have all these different systems in place. I mean, there's. You know, there's apps for this. I mean, I, I think there's more business systems in place to help somebody. Um, and hopefully people are doing some form of business development. I mean, I I, had, I don't know if John Birch's biz is uh, is uh, as awful as it used to be or cultish, but, um, you know, things that fit within that same deal. At least people are looking at it like, how do you build a gym? Is it just, I mean, and you guys are taking a good deal. It's just not running a business. It's creating a culture. I mean, do you want to run a business or do you want to have, you know, create culture and have a successful entity? And I think um, a lot of people will start with the first and then all of a sudden the business part bogs them down and they want to get all fucking businessy. And then they realize like, fuck, man, we've, we've got all the X's and O's, but we can't get people here because we haven't done enough to develop ourselves and who we are and create an identity. So, Yeah, and I got, you know, 
what I jokingly said to, I think, Tex and Callie as they were jumping on the seminar staff is like, you need to be able to watch the same movie at least 30 times and still think it's hilarious <laughs> because going back to what you said, Logan, like if you're going to show up and play the mini Super Bowl over and over again, it's against the same team with the same plays. Like you need to have a certain personality type that doesn't need constant variance of stimulus because it, it can become redundant and like overwhelming. Right. So it's, it is a personality type in terms of the owner operator space, but then there is this other dynamic of mega gym within the micro box space where you're doing five, six, seven locations and you are, you know, you're putting the right people in place to, to push a culture around or adapt what you're doing to a different psychographic demographic environment. Right. Because, because you all got a place coming up in Nashville or something as well, or a partner or working on it. Yeah. Yeah. We've spoken too soon before. Okay. So I'm going to be careful, but But, I mean, the, 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 the clients that roll in in Venice beach, may not share the same psychographic platform that rolling in Nashville. Yeah, and this this goes to a conversation we had way back because Callie and I had a, a culture, right? Mm-hmm. And we said, uh, like, athletes will dictate that. And I'd never been to Newport Beach. I didn't understand. So when we were having that conversation, I'm like, oh, yeah, they direct everything. They, they lead different things. They take control. They take ownership of the program. And you're like, nah, that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. Because I, I didn't know. I thought that was just the way, but that was my limited experience coming well, from team to... I think what really hurts, what really hurt Balboa was uh, my brother. Oh, no. no. I, uh, the the uh, Wellborns <laughs> were a welcomed, uh, welcomed so clients. They, as, they're as, as much great, as, uh, coachable. No, so my older brother, <laughs> who's my best friend in the world, and I love him dearly, and he would be so mad. And he's a good man. This. He is a good he's man, fucking, He's the best. Uh, but he wants to go and train and doesn't really want anybody to coach him. But yet, if you ask him this, he'd be like, no, I totally want to get coached. I just want somebody of quality to coach me. And then he's going to battle them at all times. But then the hilarious part is I was like, why are you battling this? What are you talking about? I'm starting to you know, ask questions. Why is everybody think asking questions to battle? <laughs> Which is, uh, I was like, because you just told him to shut the fuck up and to yeah. get away from you. He's like, well, yeah, they should be assertive <laughs> enough. Now, yeah. Okay, okay, Luke, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, so like you have to remember, uh-huh. my brother is uh, a pretty high-powered uh, criminal defense attorney in Orange County. And he's in court most days and fucking battling people. So he comes to the gym and expects anybody to be like, hey, Ed, maybe you do Oh, well, fuck you. You tell me, uh, you show me you do it then, fucking fuck off. And they're like, oh, God, and they walk away. And they're like, brother told me to go fuck myself like five times. I'm like, yeah, he's expecting you <laughs> yeah, to he, li- he likes you. He's trying yeah. to accelerate the diamond process. Yeah, he, uh, which is, and then people are like, uh, you know, it makes it so apparent how you, you know, was it always like this? I'm like, my whole life. So, uh, but, but what they don't realize is I'm like, no, he wants your feedback, but you, he's just not going to be like, Sounds good. I'll do whatever you want. No, you got to battle him a little bit. And uh, we didn't necessarily have coaches that were willing to battle him. Yeah, yeah. Again, like we just we were in that platform of transactional versus transformational because they showed no, uh, yeah, but the, no desire well, to grow. Yeah, know? but then, I mean, then we were a big part of it. A little was, thing called power athlete pop. Yeah, up. no. It, well, it, this was always my fault, and I will firmly take any su- uh, failure as a, a you know, and, and not running a, an overly successful gym because the fact that uh, as I opened my CrossFit gym, uh, about a month later is when CrossFit football launched. So we were just running the gym, and that's when I saw I, I, I never had a hundred percent time. Yeah, yeah. To like stick it in the entity and just be like, hey, we're doing it, and then all of a sudden my neighbor wants to do paleo brands. So I had a food company, I had a traveling seminar business uh, with an online deal, and I had a gym, and I'm trying to run all three, and uh, I didn't 
do any of them well. Sure. So the one thing which uh, whenever people ask me like, oh, what do you think about opening a gym? I'm like, if you want to do that and that's all you want to do, like avoid distraction, fucking run 100%, don't take on other bullshit, don't do this, no side projects, focus on the gym and live in it and fucking you know, live and breathe it and you'll yeah. do fine. Build your but, platform. Yeah, the problem is is if you try to do three things at once and you'll, do, you'll sit on no seat and suck at everything, so... There you have it, folks. Tex, do you have anything else? Yeah, just uh, one of my favorite quotes and just popped in my head multiple times when uh, Danny and Logan were kind of describing their situation. It, just Jerry Garcia. I don't mm-hmm. want to be the best at what I'm doing. I want to be the only one doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Write that down. And that's that mentality over there at Deuce, right, boys? And I also will just say right. that, Logan, you are the, the pun master. You wrote, eh. hold the standard in gold on your gym. It's the gold standard. Do you get it's it? It's one of a kind, dude. I'll I tell you what. intentionally did that. I just think he said, hey, we want to hold the standard, and the guy that showed up just did it in gold, and he thought, yeah, Gold standard, I get it. Yeah, I get yeah, it. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> funny. John, it's, you're lucky that you're not in these group texts with these morons because <laughs> the puns all fucking day long – would, you'd, uh, you'd fire them both. Uh, here's the deal. I'm on a whole different both. fucking get of. Yeah, I'm on a whole different set of group texts with, uh, with uh, like Rob Wolf and these other idiots. That is fucking. Yeah, is it on point? Yeah, is it good? It's retarded. Is it as good as ours? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, we also have this uh, Instagram thing going around that's just has, hashtag if, both. If you've listened to the past ten episodes and you heard us just jump on the word both, it's it's an inside joke. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, where it's and it's it's actually pertinent, so it's really just both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys wouldn't get it. Uh, well, dude, Danny Logan, we've been on for like an hour and a half, pretty, and it cruised by, man. Good, good chats. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy days, uh, you know, of like biking around Venice and sipping on fucking cold brew and you know wearing getting, wearing getting new jeans with holes in them or whatever yeah, the fuck you trying guys to are find doing Janice Joplin's painting your shoes hat. gold yeah Janice getting the next Janice Joplin hat and coming up with puns you know wearing Hawaiian shirts and beards <laughs> America always gotta do it y'all in, in, in all seriousness guys thanks for jumping on it was a fucking good time um, people if you don't know go check out the fucking deuce know. go check out the deuce right so I guess if you just search Deuce online, you're gonna come up with everything. I mean, where do you well, want these gym. guys? Don't forget Jim. Deuce yeah, gym. if you put in just Deuce, it's gonna be weird. Like, show me the Deuce. It's weird. And <laughs> purely by coincidence, this is episode Deuce, Deuce, Deuce. Yeah, double Deuce on the triple Deuce. That's how we roll. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Logan, where people can find the coaches prep stuff online? The Deuce. Uh, prep. Prep.deucegym.com. Do it, people. Uh, any other closing words, boys? Appreciate y'all. You yeah, guys are killing you. it. All right. Well, hopefully see you guys soon. Huh? Think you think you can get any of the crew out for the symposium? Nah. Symposium. Yeah. They don't like coming to all. We're getting to the chopper. Get to the chopper. All right, people. All I know is this girl's like, oh, <laughs> I miss Austin so much. It looks like so much. Anytime I post any pictures, she's like always like one of the top oh, 10 dude. people to like it the fastest. She's A and M. She's lobbying hard. No, she's from Austin. Uh, then why'd you go to A and M? I don't know. And, um, we'll have to ask her. We'll have to ask her at the standards, bro. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> thank you for listening. Peace. Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast <laughs> in, in strength, strength and conditioning. And conditioning. In, in. Bye. 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 And scene.
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can follow Logan or Danny on Instagram. They are at Functional Coach or at Danny Leslie, respectively. And do any search of Juice Gym and you will easily find links to inspire and motivate you to suck a little less every day. Now what do you guys want to do? Thank you. Uh, well, we're not wearing shorts, so we can... Until next time, bye! Bye!